Welcome to the situation room. Welcome to the situation room. Welcome to the situation room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the situation room. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. You guys can find us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. And we're here to try and break down the Colts game and what we saw today. Um, and so, you know, we'll be running this podcast the same way we usually do. Um, check us, check me out on Twitter. Um, we're trying to get these up on Sunday night. You'll be able to see links to the videos. You know, it's before the All-22 comes out, but you'll be able to see the plays that we're talking about and what Gabe and I are looking at um, and how we broke those down. But I think that that we start these conversations with, you know, what do we take away from the Ravens team so far? And my takeaway all the way up to this week has been that they're not consistent enough on offense. They're very good on defense and that that they, they need to get it together and be more intentional on offense. And uh, you, you could you could copy and paste what I've said probably the last five weeks at the top of and at the end of any every game. And, and I'd feel the same way. How about you, Gabe? Yeah, I agree. I think that there were some positives to take away from this game, similar as I thought there were positives to take away from last week's game. Um, largely the fact that they were able to bounce back, not after, not only after having you know a demoralizing defeat last year, but coming out pretty flat in the first half, um, figuring some things out at halftime, and then putting together a really good second half of the game. Um, you know, they held the Colts scoreless in the second half, which is impressive. Um, the, the defense honestly held them in the game in the first half. They, they were really good throughout, I think. And that's definitely one of the things that we can hold on to. This Ravens team has gotten back to you know their roots. They're a defensive team. That's where they've put a lot of their cap into, a lot of their resources. And I think that's you know showing in terms of how the, the team is balanced at this point. And the, the offense, is, it is what it is. You know, Lamar Jackson is, is a unique talent. He's, he's a special player, I think, but there isn't enough infrastructure around him right now for him to really play at the elite level that we saw last year. And whether or not that's going to be what holds them back, I'm not sure. I think they still have the capability of playing at that high level, but they're not getting there consistently. And that's basically what you, you've been saying. And I think that is something that we saw throughout this game. Yeah, you know, I, I go back and forth on this because I think that the Ravens offensive line definitely has a few holes in it and they're not, the wide receivers are not elite elite, but it, this team does not strike me as one that does not have enough talent to be very good. Um, you know, the gap between the talent levels of say Kansas city and this Baltimore team is not that huge. Right. And, and yet the results of what we're seeing from a consistency basis, in my opinion, on offense for the entirety of a game, um, kind of collectively is is vastly different in terms of what we see on the field. Um, and I'd like to see the Ravens really figure out a way to try and bring whatever level of off, whatever they need to do in the offense to bring that level up. They need to to do a good job of recognizing the things that are holding them back and um, find ways to bring some wrinkles in. And I think we're going to talk about how they started to do that in this game. Um, so hopefully we continue to see more of that. And we, you know, We've talked about this a lot. The The big issue that I think the Ravens have is that they just have these huge negative plays that happen from time to time that are just silly, you know? And to me, a couple of them, like the the busted Matt Skura snap where it fell to the ground, um, the, the Hollywood Brown out that was, that's the ball that we've been asking Lamar to throw all year. Throw it lighter, throw it softer, let these guys, you know, have a, a legitimate chance to catch that ball pretty easily that was one of those um and then the Lamar sack that he took on that like second and long to begin with where like he just wasn't decisive enough in terms of trying to get around that guy at the end and he either needed to decide to throw the ball sooner or decide to get out of the pocket sooner but again you know you just see these hugely negative plays in moments where they don't need them and I would call them predominantly self-inflicted wounds yeah, I, I agree with that, but I think that it gets back to the talent question. And I think specifically when I'm, what I'm referring to is the offensive line. I think there are issues in terms of the level of talent there, especially now that you know Stanley's out for the season. Um, Mascara has has not really played well this year. I, I think he's had a few games where he's looked you know fairly good, but there's been a lot of games where he's been average to below average. And this game in particular, like you mentioned, there were issues with the snaps that was repeated throughout this game. 
And even if it wasn't that one kind of like dribbler that he had, he was also kind of off the mark on several of his, of his, of his shotgun snaps. And that really makes the quarterback have to adjust. You're, you're taking your mind off of looking downfield and figuring out where you're going with the ball and having to adjust to the, the snap. So that like even half second is going to, uh, you know, mess you up in that play. I totally agree with you. So why do the Ravens have to run seven plus snaps of five wide receivers a game? Like, like it's very clear where the weakest part of the Ravens team is, which is the interior of their offensive line right now. And yet the Ravens, I, I mean, I guess these bunched tight formations, which drive me also drive me crazy are part of that solution. But the alternate to that cannot be going five wide and cannot be kind of letting your offensive line all be guys on islands at times too. You got to move the pocket more. You've got to do, you've got to do more to help the weakest part of your team. You've got to run misdirection off of that. You've got to, you know, so I think in some cases, and we'll talk about some of the things that I just mentioned today on today's podcast, they are doing some of those things. I would love to see the Ravens be deceptive in every single snap and everything single play that they do. And so, you know, let's jump into some of these plays. And I think the, one of the first ones that we saw, you know, you, you see this dive play, um, you know, last week against the Steelers where Gus Edwards had a huge run because you had Brown kind of trailing to the outside. You had Lamar kind of faking out to that side um, that opened up the linebackers and it gave Edwards kind of a big lane to run through there. And it's not clear. It was Williams King Lamar. Was he King Brown? Either way, they were kind of cheating to the weak side. And so Early in this Colts game, you know, we see from the Ravens in the, the first quarter at, at about the 457, 450 mark, um, they run a similar formation where you've got um, the, the receiver kind of coming across in motion. He does that kind of deep thing where he is behind behind the action of the play. And then Lamar does his kind of flip thing. And instead, and I thought this was a nice little wrinkle, you see the Ravens run a screen to Dobbins. Um, and I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about the screen. Cause I know that's something that you've been advocating for, for the whole season. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think the Ravens historically do not run very many screens and they're pretty poor at running screens. Um, I think this season we've seen a little bit more, um, but they haven't been very effective. I think there've been a couple that, you know, there've been a couple bubble screens that were blocked up well, um, but this is a screen to Dobbins. Like you said, you had, I think Duvernay coming in that in the kind of like orbit motion um, to, to take at least one defender and kind of like hold him out of the play. And then you have the offensive line, um, you know, set up some blocks. But And this, this play is, is effective. It goes for, I think, like a seven-yard gain on, on a second and nine. So I think in general, this is, this is a positive play. But I do want to highlight the fact that I just think that the Ravens offensive line is really unathletic and really poor in space. Like they, they are not guys who can really, in the open field, take out some blockers, um, especially when you, when you lose Ryan Stanley. Um, he's probably you know, the most athletic guy on the line. They, they're a relatively unathletic offensive line, and I think it shows on plays like this. They just weren't able to kind of you know, find their, their, their defender that they're supposed to block up and really take them out of the play. Um, you know, part of that is is the is the Colts defense because they are very fast and very athletic defense, um, and they were able to kind of get around and get off some of those blocks. But this could have been a bigger play. But I, I just see guys like who are looking for guys to block and who aren't don't have the ability to kind of like get downfield and and set up those those nice blocks that would spring this for for a bigger play. And while I, I like the the design here, I'm not, I just am not sure the Ravens have the personnel to really be effective in this kind of game. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the personnel. I, I, you know, Bozeman has a nice block here in space. And actually, Orlando Brown has had some fantastic blocks in space this year. I think one of them is on this play. Um, he gets his, you know, he looks like he's late breaking on on the whole thing. But he ends up being the lead blocker for Dobbins and and kind of being the reason he gets the last three yards at the end. Um but you know what I don't like? The Ravens don't release the, these guys and let them get upfield and get by them. So part of it is not just the athleticism of the screen, but when teams screen really well, it is that you are your offensive lineman is two plus yards ahead of the defender who is facing the wrong direction. When you look at at the kind of, I guess let's call it the the like four second mark where Lamar is releasing the ball to Dobbins. The defenders are not fast, the offensive linemen on this play, and the offensive linemen have not tried to release and get up the field at all, right? And so 
you have a huge asset here in the sense that like these guys for one should be already to the line of scrimmage here. If you want to, if you want to have a good crack at this, right. Two, at that point, you've let the defenders run by you. So you're given Dobbins more space three, if they do that and there's screen recognition by the defensive lineman, that means that they're going to stop and not pursue Lamar. And maybe if we need to be bailed out on this play, that gives Lamar the space to do that. But instead, basically all the defenders are between the 26 and the 22 with all the Ravens offensive linemen and Dobbins. I, I was pretty impressed that he got seven or eight yards, whatever he whatever he got out of this game in the first place, because I think from a screen technique standpoint, it wasn't great. But it also goes to show you that you don't have to be great on screen technique to also make nice games. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that point you're making. I think we can think back to um, – playing the Washington football team. What was that like week four, I think. And the way that their offensive line kind of in unison would like let the, the defender run by them and then have like a screen of like four guys who are out there in front of the running back and have no defenders behind them ready to tackle. And it was really just the guys out in front. And that's kind of the way you're supposed to run screens. You know, you're supposed to allow the, and invite the pressure um, and then have the quarterback who's able to, you know, kind of let that those guys get near him and then toss over top of it to a, to a running back who has defenders out in front or the blockers out in front. And I don't, so maybe that's a, maybe that's a design thing or maybe they're not being, you know, taught taught technique very well on, on how to run these screens, but for whatever reason, it's just never been, or it hasn't been something that the Ravens are doing well. And I do like the fact that you're putting it in there because I think it can be useful, like I said, but I think they still have some work to do on this. Yeah, for sure. But it definitely slows the pass rush down and it yeah. definitely gives them an asset. And if you've got guys blowing blocks on the interior offensive line regularly where they're getting beat, then, you know, they're not going to necessarily be fooled by a screen anyway because they think they're going to beat their guys one on one to begin with. So, point. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, let's talk about what we, we saw from the Colts in the first quarter, though. And, and I think that, you know, immediately their game plan or at least their pre-scripting told us something in particular about what they were going to try and do. So what did you see? Yeah. So they, they want to attack the edges of the Ravens defense. And, and by that they were attacking. So the outside linebackers in one sense, and also are attacking specifically Marcus Peters side of the field. Um, and I think part of this was, you know, they knew that the Ravens were without Marlon Humphrey, who is basically in a lot of senses, an edge player because of the way he plays against the run. He's, he's somebody who you will come in and fill that lane and really, um, you know, be a force in run defense. And Marcus Peters is is not that player. He's somebody who's basically want to try and like, you know, play patty cakes with the wide receiver on the outside and, and maybe try and make an ankle tackle. Um, and they went at him very early and often in, in this first quarter. And you know, he made one nice tackle, and then they they kind of ran at, ran at him and, and let up a big gain. And then there was the third play in which he was able to swipe out the ball at the end. And obviously that was a really key play in this game um, because th at that point, the Ravens really looked lackluster. Like they didn't have much energy. The Colts were marching down the field. They were pretty much running the ball at will. And then, you know, Peters was able to, to force that fumble and, and Clark picked it up and returned it for the touchdown. And that's kind of what, what turned the momentum of the game. It's really what kept the Ravens in it in the first half. And, as, you know, as, as much as I'm, I'm going to complain about Peters and, and his run defense, that's the kind of play that he's made this season. And he's been a difference maker in his ability to to not only force fumbles, he also had an interception in this game. <laughs> we might talk a little bit about that as well. Um, <laughs> but um, he has just been a playmaker. And that's something that you need. As, as, and he has his warts. You know, he's had some issues in coverage. But the fact that he's able to force turnovers, that's what's made – the Ravens defense, you know, as good as it has been this year. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you're selling Marcus Peters maybe a little short here. You know, if you look at these, these three plays, um, the first one, which happens kind of at the 14 20 mark, it's just like a wide swing, like pass to the flat where it looks like Peters is probably assigned maybe a third of the field um, on this play. And Peters comes up and, and makes contact with the running back kind of at the line of scrimmage. And he doesn't shy away from it. And he definitely creates the opportunity for guys to come in behind him and make a play. Um, and, you know, 
for everything that we heard about Marcus Peters before he got to Baltimore, at least if I would have believed what the media told me, I, I, this would have been a play that he wouldn't have gotten been as physical or tried to make, you know, tried to accomplish kind of in the context of, um, you know, what happened to him. So, you know, the, uh, the next play, Peters does the same thing. It, it's a little screen out, you know, but Peters gets gets off a block and is the second tackler basically or second guy to the ball and he's the reason that the ravens are able to again swarm up and make the tackle so he's not you know humphrey in those instances is often capable of bringing him down on his own um but he is you know he's trying to get in there he's trying to strip the ball loose he's he's been an effective as a defender he bites on the first move you know we definitely know that um and that's something that, that we as ravens fans have to live with um but as long as you can live with those things i've, I've been pretty happy overall with what we're seeing from marcus peters yeah i mean i think like i said you, there's there's some negatives in in his game and and maybe i am selling him a little bit short he does he does kind of um have at least you know in some effort on these plays and the, he just has a knack you know he has a knack to to make the the play when you need to and that's something that we've seen from Marlon Humphrey a lot. And when you have both those guys who are able to, to kind of be those playmakers and force turnovers, it really makes the Ravens defense, you know, something that it's really hard to, to play against. And fortunately, you know, the Ravens have those two defenders and, and they also have a lot of other good players on the defense as well. So I think that the Ravens and Ravens fans are fortunate to have, you know, a, a defense that is looking like to be one of the best in the NFL this year. Yeah, so the Colts really, you know, part of their game plan was to get to the edges. It was to use the screens. I think teams have seen what the Washington football team did, even, you know, in, in short instances of what the Steelers were doing in terms of quick passes. Um, you know, they wanted to get the ball out quickly because they know that the Ravens are going to get after the quarterback. And so, you know, we saw a lot of those. But, you know, I thought I saw Haloti Nada running down the field on this play. Um, you know, the next one that we're going to share with you guys is a little screen pass that you see, um, you know, from the Colts uh, about the 10.07 mark in the second quarter. Um, and I thought the Ravens actually did a, their edge guys did a pretty good job of defending the screen. I think they, they are starting to realize that teams are going to try to do that to them. Um, it is going to be a component of what they need to kind of be more aware of, or they're starting to just get better um, at recognition of it. But in this instance, Judon's not able to kind of break back to, to be able to make a play on the ball. Um, but out of nowhere, um, you see a streaking 92 come down the field and make the tackle on the open field. Yeah. Holy cow. Justin Matabike. He, this, this is a play that, you know, doesn't show up as like as a big play in the, in, in the in the stat sheet or in the box score, but this was a, a pretty well designed screen as well. And if Metabike doesn't make that play, there's a good chance that that might go for like a 50 yard play or even a touchdown because the Ravens I think have two guys being blocked up right in front of it, and they're big blockers on small players, and that's generally not going to go well for the defender. And Matabike makes a huge play. He shows some incredible athleticism, that quick burst to, to get down and really cover some ground to, to just take out the running back at the ankles. And, and it ended up also being um, a play that basically made the Colts punt after I think they were able to get pressure and, and, and force Rivers into a incompletion on the next pass as well. Um, and this, I mean, this is a huge play. This is one of the plays that really kept the Ravens in this game because that could have easily been a long drive for the Colts. Um, and, you know, playmakers need to make plays. And this is an example of a Ravens defensive playmaker making a huge play. You know, Matt is a rookie. rookie. He hasn't had a lot of snaps so far this year, um, but I think he's he's really acquitted himself well. Um, he's, he's a guy who was asked to do a little bit more than I think expected in this game because Calais Campbell um, was knocked out early with, with a calf injury. Um, I'm not sure, I haven't seen an update on his injury. Hopefully, you know, he's going to be okay. Um, but I think even without Campbell, the defense really played really well. And, and Matt Abike is a big part of that. Yeah. You know, we, we saw two other things that I saw in this play. I think you're absolutely right. If he, he doesn't make this tackle, then that that's going to be a touchdown. But a couple other things that I saw on, on this play that it reminded me of was one, I thought um, Malik Harrison had a really good game. The Ravens decided to give him a bigger role in this game. I thought he responded really well and, and wasn't kind of, he has been abused a few times when he's been on the field up to this point. Maybe the Colts just didn't expect it. So they didn't have it in the playbook to attack him in the same way, or maybe he got it cleaned up. 
but I thought he played well. Also, Justin Ellis is in on this play, and I thought he had a tremendous game this week. Um, he was part of the the third down that led to the fourth down stuff, and he was in on the he was playing on the fourth down, but he was he was the reason they stuffed um, that third and short to make it fourth and short. Um, basically, that sealed the game in total. He had a pass knockdown at the line of scrimmage, um, kind of inside the ten yard line when the Ravens had the Colts pinned. Earlier in the game, I just thought both of those guys from a role player perspective had really nice games this week um, and, and both their faces popped up on this play. But yeah, Matt Abike showing athleticism here. Um, you know, I'm OK if he turns into, some, you know, even a lesser version of Nada, but we get an athletic guy that could be making plays all over the field as opposed to, you know, I'd love to have a guy that gets interior pass rush, but just to see this kind of athleticism and this kind of play was was a really welcome sight. Yeah, yeah. Justin Medivike was a guy I was really excited for when the Ravens drafted him. Um, he kind of has that quick twitch um, interior pass rush ability. At least he showed that in college. Um, he hasn't been quite as effective as a rusher as what I would hope um, early on. But, you know, he's pretty early in, in his career. He's only had like, what, four games under his belt now. I think that um, as he gets more comfortable in the role, I think we'll begin to see him, you know, start to mature and start to really become, you know, a guy who's going to be a consistent um, part of the Ravens defensive line rotation. And that, that's really going to be something that's going to probably be, a, you know, important for the, for the Ravens, especially if, if, you know, they keep having some of these nicks and, and injuries down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, I totally forgot that Calais Campbell got hurt <laughs> um, and came out of this game and you really didn't see the Ravens miss. I mean, they missed him, right? They would have been better with him just like the same as I, I could say, it didn't seem like the Ravens missed Marlon Humphrey in this game either, but they would have also been better with him. Right. Um, so it's interesting, you know, the next play that we've got queued up here happens at the nine twenty one mark, but do you want to walk us through it? Yeah. So it's actually the very next play. Um, so that the screen pass that, that was able to be stopped by Matabike gave the Colts a third and five and, the Ravens, it wasn't anything fancy that they did on the next play, but it was a third down stop. And, and I wanted to highlight this play in particular because they were able to get pressure with, with four men. And, and Yannick Ngakwe was one of those four guys. He was able to get right into Rivers' face, make, force him to throw um, an off-target pass and get the Colts off the field on, on, on third down. And that's something that the Ravens did exceptionally well in this game. I think they held the Colts to just two for 12 on third down conversions, which is really good um that's a great percentage that any defense would love to have in any game and especially for a team like the colts who you know they actually have a pretty good um you know short quick passing game be able to get them off the field so many times was really impressive and i mentioned this before the ravens defense really kept um the team in the game especially when the offense was sputtering in the first half and you know plays like this where you're able to get quick pressure before is a big reason why that was possible yeah, and the combination of these guys, these guys were interesting on this play. You know, you had Judon and Ngakwe in kind of their traditional roles. You actually had Judon kind of in that wide nine look, which you I kind of expected Ngakwe to be showcasing more of in this game, but they were paired with McPhee and with Wolf as down linemen. Um, and so again, you know, when I mentioned that it felt like the Ravens didn't miss Calais Campbell, I think this play is an example of that, right? Where they were still able to generate four man rushes and, and still do some things. I think that, I think that you saw Wink get away from some of the exotic blitz packages and really just stick to kind of five man and like a more traditional, I, I mean, as tra traditional for Wink, right? Like not your typical kind of Ravens of the 2000 era or year where you had four guys straight rushing and bull where either coming off the edge or not. Right. Um, but you, you did have much more simplified five man rush looks. We'll have to see what Ken and Philip studies numbers come out on that. But I think that they, they, they got a little simpler on that and the Ravens got burned early on a play. There was a, there was a essentially a wide receiver screenplay where the Ravens kind of overloaded to the right. And Ngakawe was, they had two guys standing up. I think it might have been Judon and McPhee. And Ngakawe had his hand in the ground on the left. And it was supposed to create the deception. Ngakawe dropped. But it was a screen pass to the wide receiver. And the Ravens just, they were so unbalanced. And it was so obvious to Rivers. It was an easy, whether it was a pre-play call or a check, I think that kept the Ravens. They just decided they weren't going to do that this game. You can do that when you can rush with four guys like this. When McPhee, Wolf, Judon, and um, Ngakawe can get home, and you've got guys like Bowser and Ferguson um, and Matabike that you can rotate in with them, um, that makes this team even more dangerous as the year progresses. 
Yeah, and I think that that really goes to show you the value of being able to bring in someone like Ngakwe in the middle of the season to really bolster the the Ravens' pass rush. And you know, the sacks haven't really been there yet. They, I think they only had like two sacks last week against against Ben Roethlisberger, and, and they didn't get any sacks in this game. But the pressure was there, and and that's really you know the stat that you want your your front four to be able to get is, is those pressures and to be able to force the quarterback into inaccurate throws and, and maybe make a few mistakes as well. Um, and, and like, and like you said, that's, there's a little, lot of versatility with, with the players that the Ravens have up front. They have a deep defensive, you know, line, outside linebacker group. They can rotate players in and out. And I think that's really along with, you know, the secondary that we talked about with playmakers like Humphrey and Peters. Um, I think that's going to be what, what keeps this, this Ravens team, you know, among the NFL's elite. Yeah, so I think, you know, the Ravens' response on the next drive was the one that you want to talk about next, and Lamar got a little laser-focused in, in or Roman or a combination of them. Why don't you walk us through what you saw? Yeah, so um, this was basically the, the Mark Andrews drive, you might say. Um, so there's three straight plays in in the in this following drive when the Ravens got the football back where, where, where Lamar focuses on, on Andrews. And honestly at least two of these plays are designed specifically for him. Um, the, the first one is, it's a, basically an, an RPO and it's, it's a nice play design, I think. Um, and Andrews is the target that Lamar tries to force the ball into, but he's pretty well covered. And I think what could have happened here instead is if Lamar pumps there and he has Boyle wide open on the outside. And if he just kind of makes that small adjustment instead of trying to force it to Andrews, Boyle was a huge gain for him. Um, and then the next play um, is this, I think it's tight end screen that's trying to be set up. And this one was just blown up from the start. Um, Andrews is starting to block the defender and then he kind of like lets the defender go by and, you know, he's sitting up right in front of the offensive line to kind of pick up, Catch the pass and hopefully make a play. It looks similar to what um, kind of play that the, the Chiefs will do with Travis Kelsey at times, um, but it just wasn't well executed. And and the Colts kind of I don't know if they felt it coming or or were able to sniff it out, but it, it was basically another kind of like sketchy pass that that Lamar probably should not have made. Um, and then then this put this the Ravens in third and long, um, and now you have a play where it's actually a really nice route. By, by Andrews and he just sits down in the middle of zone coverage and, and Lamar just finds him. It's a beautiful pass, hits him for like 13 yard gain and it's, it's an easy first down. And, and that's where Andrews I think is at his best when you're not trying to force it to him with big, these weird play designs. And you know, sometimes the creativity is useful, but he's has the ability to find like the, the, the creases in the zone. And, and if Lamar can just like not try and force it to him every single time and just let him, let the place come to him when they're there, that's when I think that connection is at its best. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> it's impossible to know because we don't know the play calls, right? And we don't know what the intention here is. Um, I think the thing that drives me the craziest about all these plays, one is the a tight end screen to Mark Andrews. This doesn't seem like a good use of Mark Andrews to me, especially when your offensive line is already kind of getting beat up across the board. But you're absolutely right about the pump fake um, to boil on the other play. And if you look at the, if you're looking at the play where he throws it to Andrews, and this is my biggest gripe with Lamar, Andrews is the most covered guy on the field when he makes this throw. Like Andrews does run a nice route. Lamar does make a nice throw. All three of the Colts defenders in the middle of the field are dead locked in on Mark Andrews along with Lamar. And so, yeah, that works. Yeah, that's great. But underneath Snead is wide open, right? So, but alternately, if you see Dobbins, I, I believe it's Dobbins leaking out of the backfield and he is wide open on the left side of this field. And a pump to Lamar would have pulled that defender there as well and given Dobbins an easy shot at that first down, if not more. But instead, he has to make a very accurate, very tight throw into that window and throw it between three guys. And so, again, this is what we don't know and we don't know what's happening in the coach's room. But to me, it's like, if I am coaching Lamar, what I'm saying is, Lamar, go find the guy that's defended by three guys and then move to your next read. When there is a guy that has three guys converging on him, 
go find the next guy. Like, like that is time to move on. If that is your only read and your only target, that's the time to break the pocket. Right. Uh, but in this instance, somebody else has to be open in, in this case, right? Like, like you have to be able to recognize then where the defenders were on the field and, and what has been happening. And the Ravens need to start playing more chess and less checkers in, in situations like this, right? What makes really good quarterbacks elite is not their ability. It is their ability to throw the ball, but it's meaningfully, it's their ability to see the field when they get to the line of scrimmage, to count hats, to know which directions people guys are going in and to know that in this instance, when if the guy at basically between the hash and the 40 yard marker is going to suck to Mark Andrews, that JK Dobbins is going to be wide open on the other side because the guy on the left is going to be running a go route, which is the design, right? To me, in this instance, you've got basically three receivers and two defenders to the left if you include Dobbins. Or if you're just looking at Andrews and Steen, you've got three defenders and two receivers. It's like which one of the, like it's the triangle offense and the the same thing that Phil Jackson was always trying to do. And so, you know, to me, Lamar needs to start to be able to to read the field a little bit better and try and isolate those reads. That being said, you're absolutely right. This is a great route by Andrews. Um, but you're also burning your shot at throwing the ball to Andrews when you're when you're when you do it three times in a row too. I mean, I, I think they were just lucky to convert this, and I'd love to see. I said this earlier in the podcast, and I'll 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 use more examples as we kind of go through some other film spots here. But this is an example where I want the Ravens to make it seem like they're doing the thing that they normally do and know their own personal tendency and do something different. Make it look like we're going to try and throw it to Andrews and, and throw it somewhere else intentionally. Run the fake screen to Andrews and let Dobbins leak out to the left. Or the Colts did this several times this game. Basically, they run two sets of screens, both left and right at the same time, and the quarterback has to pick the better option, right? So I, I just think there's an opportunity for the Ravens to be – smarter on balance than they have been in some of these passing mechanics. And maybe that is just Lamar not doing it and they're coached in, or maybe it's Greg Roman and the concepts aren't there and being coached up. So for, for these plays in particular, I, I don't mind that they're done throw to Andrews. I think, I think that was, you know, a throw that's on time. It's within, you know, the, the normal route that's being run. It's, it's an open, it's a, I mean, it's a tight throw, but it's a, it's an open throw. And, and I think that was, that was well-designed. What, what I don't like is a previous two. Um, the, the first one and the second one, they're both forced. Um, either one of them could have gone worse than, than what happened. Um, and I think on both of them, we also saw Ravens players who were wide open. And those are things that I think Jackson needs to be able to recognize. Um, maybe use like his, his eyes, use the pump fake, like we mentioned, to try and get a, a player more open. And then, you know, maybe just come off your read. I, I know that these are, you're trying to get Andrews involved in the offense. He hasn't been as involved in the offense, and especially in the past few weeks, as I think any of us would be expecting. And, you know, they're probably trying to, like, you know, get him the ball because he is a good playmaker. But you can't just do it for the sake of doing it when it's not there. And that 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 is the, the thing that we need to see from Jackson, to be able to come off of that, you know, des, prescribed or designed read and see what else is available to him. Because there always is going to be another option. That's how, you know, offense works. It's not always just going to be the one read and that's it. So I, th I think that we've seen some nice things from, from Andrews and Jackson this year. Um, there's a lot of plays, especially earlier in the year, where I, I felt like they were able to kind of make some magic happen um, outside of the normal, you know, framework of the play. They, they kind of were able to, like, Lamar was able to break the pocket and scramble around a little bit and, and find Andrews um, as kind of like a safety valve. And Andrews was doing a great job of, of working open. Um, and that hasn't been so much a part of, of the offense in recent weeks. Um, and, and maybe that's part, part of the reason that, you know, the, the offense hasn't been clicking at such a high level because, because there's just been so much pressure on, on Jackson and he hasn't been able to like, really be the kind of player that where he's at his best, where he's, you know, he's, he's extending plays and, and finding players downfield that, that are open. Um, we saw a little bit of that against Pittsburgh last week um, and maybe even a little bit of that today. But I think for the most part, you know, he there just seems to be a, a kind of like a, a design in, in the offense. And he's I think he's trying to just do too much at times. And I, I don't know if there's any like, you know, cure off for this, especially with, with what we've talked about the Ravens offensive line being suspect at times. But I, I do think that, that, that what I want to see is more getting through progressions quickly, 
and having, you know, more simplified throws. And, you know, we are going to get to this a little bit. And that's kind of what happened in the second half to a certain extent. Um, but before we get there, there was a play on defense that I wanted to talk about really quickly. Um, and this was a, this was a, a second down play. Um, and I want to highlight this because I thought it was a really weird um, personnel grouping and a really weird decision on how the Ravens set up their, their defensive responsibility. So this was a play you might remember where Matt Giugano was covering uh, the host tight end, Mo Alley Cox, about 20 yards downfield. And, and it was a, a play that was completed for a, for a big game and, and set up the, the Colts uh, field goal at the end of the, end of the first half. And for some reason, the Ravens, it looks like they were in their, maybe their, I don't know if it was base personnel or something, or some variation of base. And, but they had three defensive tackles on the field and they had two outside linebackers. And Judon, for whatever reason, was tasked with man coverage on Milwaukee Cox. First of all, I don't know why you have three defensive tackles and, and, and two outside linebackers. Um, and in that kind of down distance, second and 10, like it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I, I know that the Coles like to run out 12 personnel, but I feel like you still want to be a nickel in, in this situation. Where, where, the, where the Colts are kind of driving the ball. Um, I don't think they're going to run there. Like, I'm not sure. Maybe they were maybe they were caught in the wrong personnel grouping. I'm not sure. Um, but I don't think that that's a position that you want Judon in. And, and maybe, you know, it's just like a bad situation. They were caught in the wrong personnel and, and he was in a responsibility that he shouldn't be in. But that's not where you want your players to be. I think you want Judon rushing the passer or dropping off into like a short zone coverage. And I'm not, I'm not sure what, what, what Martindale was thinking on this one. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is, this is one of my personal pet peeves of the Ravens defense. It's like deception is great, you know, all the way up until the minute that it's blatantly obvious when the play starts or that you're not actually generating pressure. Um, and the Ravens defense is good enough that it doesn't always have to be deceptive to be good. Um, and they should just be okay with that. You know, when, when the Colts are going to go five wide, run your base package, let your pass rushers pass rush, let your, let your defensive backs be who they are. Um, and, and often you're going to be successful in that and change it up. Don't always play man. Don't always play zone. Don't always play cover two. Don't always play cover three, but there's enough things that you can do variation wise in that, um, and, and layer in some small things for deceptions from time to time that you don't need to be leaving your guys in situations like this. This play remind it was PTSD for me personally, going back to the Chiefs game when we just saw Judon regularly defending receivers 20 yards down the field and Patrick Mahomes was just picking this team apart. Um, I'm fine with it if there's six or seven men rushing on the other side of it. And the Judon, then, then it's, and it's a surprise. And Judon is just kind of like there just in case, because if no one's there, maybe he, it's an easy throw, but otherwise someone has to be there. But in this instance where you only rush four guys and Judon is matched up on a tight end who is essentially going to run a vertical route, then, you know, I just don't understand the point of why the Ravens try and do this sometimes. So hopefully they were just caught out of it. And like you said, they were, they were caught off balance. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, it's it's a lesson to they, they need to see these kind of things because these these are some of the big plays that they've gotten hit on all year long. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, every once in a while, like 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 we said, you know, you're going to be caught in the wrong personnel against it's the wrong play and, and you're going to have somebody in a mismatch. And that's something that the offense can dictate at times and you can't always get out of that. But maybe if if you know that personnel and maybe you just like, you know, you do a zone instead, instead of having like a, a man coverage here. And I don't know. I mean, it ended up being three points and it's not the end of the world. Um, but I just wanted to highlight it because it, it seemed like it was something that was a little uncommon for what the Ravens try to do. I feel like they're pretty good about, you know, having the right personnel and having the right, you know, played called for the personnel that they have on the field. So this one stood out to me as something that you don't really see that often. Um, but, you know, in the end, it wasn't the worst thing. They, they gave up three points and then uh, Colston scoring more in the entire game. So can't complain too much. Yeah. So that was pretty much wrapped up the first half, which I think we were all as fans pretty frustrated with, but the Ravens came out in the second half and they were a totally different team. And I think we want to start the conversation here because the Ravens did something in the second half that I think that the, we as Ravens fans and anybody that's been, 
trying to dive into the film and, and the analytics, you know, we're really looking at. And, you know, they certainly caught the <laughs> the broadcast and the announcers off guard because I think on every like, there must have been six or seven plays of the second half where the announcers were talking about something else and the graphic wasn't on the Ravens and the Ravens got to the line and snapped the ball and ran decisive plays that were successful. Um, so apologies on some of these clips because they were short because they were cutting to them basically as the Ravens were snapping or afterwards. Um, and that's what you see. But we finally got the Ravens to do a little bit of what we'd like to see. One is I think we saw more 11 personnel. Um, I think that's helpful for them to be able to spread the field out. And two, it was kind of three, four steps, two and a half-ish seconds, bang, bang decisions from Lamar, um, quick, easy reads. And so Hopefully, you know, again, we're not in the locker rooms. So we don't know how these are being coached up. You know, there's it's it's certainly possible that these were lucky first reads every single time. But the idea is that you set up the play. Lamar looks it over. He decides where he wants to go first based on what the defense is going to give him. He's going to take those opportunities and the things that are in front of him. And so, you know, I loved on the first one of these plays, they put Marquise Brown in the slot. They hit him on a quick post. The Ravens need to be running Marquise Brown, or I'm sorry, that's the second one of these plays. Um, the first one is is Snead kind of coming on a crosser after some play action and some deception where we saw kind of that orbit motion um, from the Ravens. The second one is Marquise Brown running a skinny post out of the slot. I want to see that all the time. I, I, if you remember it from last year, that was a touchdown in week one against Miami, and then it seemed to disappear from the Ravens playbook at, after that. And Brown took a hit, and he took the contact and got up and played fine after that. So I thought that that, you know, that one was really smart. Then you get a high-low action between kind of Sneed and Boyle and Marquise Brown, where you get them at all three levels. And the Colts defenders, really all three guys were, were borderline open on this play. Um, and if Lamar decides that he doesn't want to make one of these throws, um, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to run it here. They, they just caught them out of sorts, and they used the verticality of the, of, of the offense's potential to be able to create those. And then the last one is kind of, again, 11 personnel. You've got Boykin wide, and the receiver just doesn't want to let him beat him deep. And Lamar just takes a quick, easy throw underneath to Boykin, and he runs it across the first down marker. Um, the Ravens can do this whenever they want because teams are loading up the boxes, and they're keeping everything tight. The Ravens should be in, like, 11 personnel where they run out three wide receivers. It's going to put a lot more stress on – opposing defenses and it's going to make them be a lot lighter in terms of what their personnel looks like when they're defending them. Yeah. So obviously this was extra, extremely refreshing to see. And it was, it was very, um, I think hopeful on what we could see moving forward. And, and I think the past two weeks we've, we've seen things like this where you say, okay, you know, the Ravens just put together, you know, two really great back-to-back -back drives why, why can't they do that consistently? And, and, you know, we've talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. We're saying, you know, it's issues with the offensive line, but those issues with the offensive line disappeared in the second half when the Ravens went up-tempo, when they spread the teams out, where they put the ball in Lamar's hands and let him be a quarterback. And he was extremely decisive and he was extremely accurate and they moved the ball down the field and the Colts couldn't do anything about it. I don't understand why you can't do that more frequently. And why they stopped afterwards. I mean, and to me, you know, I'm tired of hearing this, like, we've got to hide the playbook. We've got to hide the playbook. Like, that murmur to me is over. Like, put it all on film and build off of it. Continue to build on it and get deceptive on the things that are successful when you put them on film now, right? But the Ravens, after this drive and after moving all over the field in the third quarter basically decided they were going to go back to what they did in the first quarter and just kind of ran the ball to futility. Now, granted, I don't think the game was close at that point, it, it, you know, especially after the Tucker field goal. So like the very last drive I'm okay with, but last season, the Ravens iced the clock in these games. Like the last two drives the Colts had in this game would have been the Ravens last year, scoring a touchdown and just absolutely obliterating not only the score, but the Colts heart. Um, and, and it, that that killer instinct wasn't there for the Ravens in this game. They the the third down where right right after the touchdown, I, I just I, I didn't understand that play call. I just seemed I, I don't understand what Greg Roman is trying to accomplish sometimes right now. Um, but what we saw from those passing plays is exactly what the Ravens need. Yeah, and it also gets to the point about what are you doing on first down, and this is something that. 
we kind of, we, you know, we messaged back and forth a little bit about uh, during the Ravens bye week. And if you look at the Ravens splits on, on first down, they run the ball like 65% of the time on first down. It was kind of an absurd number. And that when you are picking up four or five, six yards, when you run the ball, that's okay. When you're picking up one or negative one or two or maybe zero, which the Ravens have been doing an awful lot of this year because their offensive line and their run game hasn't been as good as it has been in the past, then you're behind the eight ball. And what that means is then you're putting the offense in bad position on second and third down. And you're really putting a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson. Let him pass the ball on first down. Use play action. Use you know some deception. Use Get him like out of the pocket, bootleg. Get him easy throws throws where he's moving forward, where, there's, where receivers are moving forward. Um, that's something that we didn't see, honestly, for much of the entire season until the second half of this football game. And we saw that the Ravens actually have guys who can get open and make plays on these short posts and on these skinny posts and on these slant routes. And we talked about with Boykin on that, when he has that eight yard cushion on the outside, you can just throw him that ball. We saw Hollywood Brown open on these quick outs, I think twice in the first half. And he picked up a third down, and he would have had another one if he didn't drop the ball. So these are plays that the Ravens can be using on a regular basis, but for whatever reason, they're trying not to. And I know that the Ravens are fundamentally still a run-first team, but you can be a run-first team. That doesn't mean you have to run the ball every first down. You can run the ball on second down when you're in second and short, which they love to do. I'm not going to get into that right now, but – I think that the Ravens are at their best when they're keeping teams off balance. And that's why we saw them have this effectiveness in the beginning of the first half or the second half, because that's not what the Colts were expecting. They're expecting the Ravens to come out and do the same thing that they do all the time. And that's run the ball on first down. And when you hit them with a quick passing game and pick up the tempo a little bit, you're putting them on your heels and then you can hit them with some of those runs and you can hit them on the edge with a Lamar Jackson keeper. And then you all of a sudden you're down at the five yard line. You're about to score a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And once you start having success, you know, that's what lets the Ravens do what they did after this, right? And and so, you know, I want to talk about the fourth down conversion, which was huge in this game. Um, but what I love about this play, I, you know, I mentioned this earlier. I wish the Ravens made it look like what they were doing wasn't what they were actually going to do on every single play. I wish every single one of those mesh points where Lamar pulls the ball back was a pass, right? Because everybody knows that one of the two guys is likely going to be running. On one of the few times that they ran a play action on that, it was really successful. I think it was in one of those quick passes. Maybe the first one to Sneed was, I think, a, like a fake RPO, like mesh point handoff and a pass to Sneed, right? So what you see on this fourth down conversion is they go and, and I just the Ravens should just give up the all five wide, go with this look, go with four wide, keep the running back in the backfield. If they want to pass the ball, then, you know, it gives you options to run, which they have to defend. But it also gives you an extra pass blocker. It's highly successful. But what I love about this play is you immediately see both Fluker, I believe, and um, Skura pull after the snap, making the play go look appear like it's going to the left but the Ravens actually run the play to the right. And so in this instance, they made it look like it was going to be a QB keeper from Lamar, basically in the same quarterback power action that we constantly see from this team. And the Colts basically bit on it. And so you see Dobbins be able to run to the right. All you need is the guy that's in the slot to be successful in his block. And you can pick up a first down and they get it. I mean, Super gutsy call on, on and three on a fourth down to run the ball. But what I love about this play is the, the, the fundamental misdirection of what you did here. You could also double pull power here and throw the ball. And I think that in a lot of instances, that's going to create a lot of tension for those two linebackers. Basically, they, the Colts did the exact same thing the Steelers did here and kept the two kind of inside linebackers in hook zones slash kind of quarterback spy reads, right? And as soon as they thought Lamar might keep it to break on Lamar, um, the Ravens can create a lot of tension there, especially if they show a run look to those guys as their key for recognition too. Yeah, this this fourth down play design, I, I absolutely love. And I think it's, you know, it's meant to to put the defense in conflict. It's something we've talked about before. You're, you're, you're making it look like it's going to be like a quarterback power, um, but you hand the ball up on a, the option. I think this is kind of like an inverted veer, something I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not that kind of X and O's guy. 
Um, but, you know, Dobbins in the open field is explosive and he can get to the edge. Um, he had basically one man to beat and he beat him. It was the defensive end who was kind of lost in the middle. He wasn't quite sure what to do. He was thinking about crashing in on Lamar. Um, instead, he gets caught in no man's land and Dobbins gets by him. And then it's a pretty, I want to say, I'm not going to say an easy um, first down, but because the blocking downfield was was good enough, it essentially was an easy first down. Um, and, you know, that's exactly what the Ravens needed at this, at this point. And this was a huge play for them. They had actually, I want to say, burned a timeout going into this. Um, and I was a little critical about the timeout because I'm thinking, um, okay, this is a tight game. I'm not sure you want to be potentially wasting a, a precious timeout um, just to figure out the right play for fourth down. You probably should have that, you know, kind of ready to go at this point. But they came out the timeout. They had the right personnel. They had the right formation. They had the right play call. And this, you know, drive ended up in a touchdown. And, and that timeout was well worth it in, in that um, in that estimation. So, you know, the Ravens have had some issues on fourth down um, this year, although I think most of them have, have been in kind of – they had one obvious one last week where it didn't work. Um, but, you know, this game, they, they, they were able to get it um, when they needed it. And this was a really big play in the game, and it might be, you know, the play in the game because if, if they get stuffed there and, and the Colts are only down four and it's close to midfield – um, they have a good chance of coming back and, and scoring, you know, you know, a touchdown or, or at least a field goal and making this a lot closer than it would end up being. Yeah, you know, I, I've been I've been critical of kind of some of Lamar's decision making this this season because I think it hasn't been or it hasn't looked as good as it has. But I think this play is a really good example where you've got to be able to teach him to trust some of his other guys that, that you, you can be the decoy. I wish the Ravens would design like a quarterback run play action play where they, like they run some kind of play. Like it looks like it's going to be a quarterback run um, from Lamar and it turns into a pass. Like they need to figure out a way to do that. Cause teams are way over committing to it, but plays like this will let him build success there. The option run that he blew in the first quarter that we did not put on film here was 100% on Lamar not pitching the ball to Dobbins. I mean, the angle was there. If the pitch was wide enough, Dobbins is easily going to be able to get to that corner, and Lamar gets indecisive and decides ultimately to keep the ball. Um, at the end of the day, Lamar's got to learn to trust the guys around him to be successful. He's got to learn to trust them in quick passes. He's got to learn to trust them in timing, and I think that Ravens will grow a lot from that. So real quick on that, on that option, though, I think um, that play was kind of blown up from the, from the get-go. If, if you, you might remember, and we didn't plan on talking about this play, but it was the first drive. It was, a, it was like a third and three or something. Um, and it, it looked like it was the same kind of, you know, option that the Ravens had run effectively against the Steelers uh, last week. And this time, unfortunately, it didn't work. And at first glance, I thought it was, you know, they just weren't on the same page. There was some kind of miscommunication. Then at second glance, I noticed that Bradley Bozeman had been driven four yards back into Lamar's lap right off the snap. And I don't think he felt comfortable pitching the ball because he had a dude right in his face. And maybe he needs to make that pitch anyway. But is it the whole point of the option that if a dude is in your face, you pitch the ball? Not on that kind of option. I mean, well, yes, but when when you because you're supposed to have the ability to run with it. So he had the the so ideally you have the ball and you're trying to run off the edge, and then you have you know the running back who's available to you to pitch the ball to. That's kind of like your traditional like option play. Um, in this instance, he was still like right in the backfield. He wasn't able to make his his move to try and like you know, gain the edge. And he was basically forced to either pitch the ball right there or try and do something. He chose not to pitch it, try to make something happen, and it didn't work. Um, I think that at that place blocked better, it's a different outcome. But Oh, for sure. I mean, if he definitely had pressure in his face on it, and if the play was blocked really well, it's going to be – it would easily have been a first down, if not more. I think the Ravens need to run that option. We featured it last week for a reason – they put it in their pocket after that because it got blown up and they 
it's something that they need to do. It's effective. Um, and if Lamar would have had space to kind of, yes, yeah, the quarterback's supposed to drive into the teeth of the, the defense a little bit to suck things to him, to give the running back even more space. But again, you know, and I guess my point here is not so much like, I mean, I, I still thought he should have pitched the ball on that play. Um, he's got to learn to trust his teammates and he's got to learn to trust that he's not the only guy that can carry this team to a win. I fundamentally believe that's the reason they lost to the Steelers last week. That on that on that fourth down play at the end of the game, he decided he was the only one who could get that first down, and he was not. There were plenty of other guys that were open, and a lot of options that he had on that play. And he's just got to learn to trust the guys that he's playing with, or at least be not the primary kind of guy in that instance. So an option is a good example where if Lamar decides that he's just going to keep it, he's the guy that everybody's looking at. And he's the guy everybody's going to commit to, right? So like, let's flip the script and go to this next play that we're going to post. And that's the touchdown from Lamar, right? So you're on, you're on a third in inches, right? The Ravens, the Ravens, we get death taxes and third, second and third and short and Ravens running the ball every time. Like if you want to go and make a bet on like plays and choices, like when it's second short or third and short, the Ravens almost always run the ball. I don't know what the stats are, but Gabe and I joke about this all the time, but essentially the Ravens set it up. They bring in the power package. They bring in um, Ben Powers. They've got Ricard on the field. You know, this is usually kind of a quarterback sneak, like right up the gut for the Ravens, or it's a it's a dive play. And the Ravens make they absolutely sell the heck out of this dive play. And Lamar had no intention to do that, right? That misdirection, kind of deception that was like layered into this play. Teams are trying to key on what the Ravens are doing and what they showcase them first, which is what's happening, I think, on first down this year. The Ravens are showcasing run and teams are playing it like that kind of run, right? Um, so this is a good example of the Ravens taking advantage of that. They made it look like a dive. It was an easy run of the end zone for Lamar. Yeah. Um, Coates completely sold out to uh, take take the, the dive away. and They, they wanted to get this, this stuff and, and Lamar Jackson had an easy touchdown and largely because Mark Andrews had a phenomenal block on this play. He just completely took his, his guy and drove him out the back of the end zone. Um, so great block by Andrews. Uh, Jackson shows off his speed. Great play call here. Um, not great job blocking by the offensive line. I think not even close. Kirk got destroyed. He got blasted five yards off the line of scrimmage. <laughs> so, did Pat, so did Patrick McCarry. I mean, you can, they're like twins. Laying, if you pause this right at kind of the, like, what is this? The, the three second, three and a half second mark. It's like twins laying on the ground. You see 65 and 68 on their butts. Yeah. So it's almost kind of comical. If you watch this play on loop, he said, <laughs> have these two Ravens offensive linemen just going flying backwards and it looks like it's maybe just one defensive tackle who takes them both out. I think you're right. Now that I look at it again, I think you're right. So impressive play by the Colts defensive line. Not great run blocking, but, you know, the deception is there. Lamar's agility and speed to easily get a third down, easily get a touchdown. Mark Andrews, like we said, had the incredible block. Um, and Andrews also had that big block on the fourth down play too. So Andrews, you know, even if he hasn't been a, a focal point of the Ravens offense in terms of the passing statistics that we thought he might have this year, he's been an integral part in the Ravens running game. And I think that's somewhere that he um, should be given a lot of credit for because that's, that wasn't necessarily something that he has been fantastic at um, earlier on in his career. And it's really something that he's developing. Um, so any last thoughts on this game real quick before we wrap it up? Yeah, you know, the one other thing I'd add about this play is I'm curious, um, you know, when Lamar gets the line. And this is, you know, I, I've been critical. I think he's made some poor decisions in game moments. But I'm I'm curious if there's kind of a check when he gets the line here, right, about kind of how he decides what he's going to do here. And I hope that it is. I mean, to me, this is the thing that the Ravens at least – in appearance don't seem like they're doing, which is why it feels like they're often more predictable. But if you kind of count bodies and, and hats on the defensive line and who they had in the backfield, you see that the inside middle linebacker is cheating to the right. He is inside the hash mark. So you've only got the one linebacker, or I don't know if he's a safety, a linebacker safety or cornerback to the right. So the advantage is to the left of this play, right? So Lamar should be going like, Ideally, if they're shifted left to kind of protect more for Lamar kind of taking it to the backside of the play, um, then they're they're at more of an advantage in that sense. So hopefully, hopefully this is the kind of call and the way that the Ravens are getting to the line of scrimmage, 
figuring out what they want. They use the entire play clock here. So I think that they did kind of, they did go into it knowing that I want to see more of that. I want to see more instances of instances of that. And I think if we get that from the Ravens, you're going to see them continue to be better and they just need to keep doing this, this kind of stuff and less of the dive plays on third and short and second and short that are blatantly obvious until teams start, stop over committing to it. Yeah. I think that that's, that's well said. And I definitely, at some point would hope to see the Ravens learn that on second and short, you can pick up chunk yards because, you know, the defense is expecting you to, to run it because the Ravens always run it. And even if you don't do anything or pick up a big play, you can, you know, have third and short. So um, second and short is basically the most ideal play that you can have as, as an offense other than like first and short, which is pretty hard to get um, second and short. You can get like, you get another do-over if you, if you don't make Wait, how, how do you get first and short? You can get some weird plays where you have like a hold called down the field. Um, so yeah, uh, true, true. It happens sometimes. Well, so love that. Sides will give you like a first and five. That's kind of halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, every once in a while, you'll see like a first and two. You're like, how that's did- true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the hold, the hold is a good example. I was just curious. I, I mean, I know you've got a good grasp of the rule book, so I was curious. But, yeah, you know, I think the big takeaway is that, you know, the Ravens are still the second, what, the second best point differential in the league um, right now. Um, somehow still better than the Steelers just behind the Chiefs. Um, so this is still a good team. It's just one that is strikingly inconsistent. And if they cannot commit to fixing those inconsistencies like these ridiculous illegal formation plays like guys somebody tip the league off that they think that the ravens are cheating deep on those plays get back like the league is now looking for them explicitly to be doing this get on the line of scrimmage like like get yeah. anyway really just just line up the way you're supposed to the extra like 12 inches or six inches that you're getting by not lining up properly is not worth it um anyway one last thing i wanted to say I want to shout out Nick Boyle in, in this game. I think he had a really good game. I think he actually led the team in uh, receiving yards. Um, the, the ball was actually sp- spread around pretty well in this game. There wasn't a lot of passing. Um, but Boyle, I think, had like four for 39 or something. But he had some nice catches. Um, he also had some really key blocks in this game. Um, he had a, a great block on the touchdown run by Edwards. Um, he and Ricard both like just like drove their guys off, off the – off the line and and gave Edwards a really easy lane into the end zone and um he you know he's kind of one of those guys who's pretty unheralded kind of lunch pail guy who's just going to go in and do his job he had he had some really nice plays in this one so I just wanted to mention that yeah he he definitely did and it seems like the Ravens part of why he had a great game was um the Ravens decided to stop using Ricard in some of those situations too. It seemed like Ricard on kind of like the four or five, six yard down the field routes disappeared and the stretch kind of like flat outside routes really weren't there as much this game. And maybe that was to by design on the defense. I think the Ravens should put that in their back pocket and keep it there all the way until the very last game of whatever the, this year is going to be, because it's not been effective this year. And I thought that we saw more of that 11 personnel that meant the Boyle was sometimes going to be that guy. And it also meant less of Ricard would be my hunch. So I'll be interested to see where the snap counts kind of come out. Um, you know, once we see those this week too. Yeah. So I think that that'll wrap it up for us. Anybody on the defensive side that they caught your eye? Yeah. I thought Malik Harrison played a really solid game. I thought that, you know, the Ravens could really have used that for, it seems to have been not playing as well recently. So I was glad to see him, you know, have a good game, but Ellis was my guy. I'd say that I thought that he was just in a couple big moments, had a couple really big plays. So we've got Monday night football coming up uh, or sorry, Sunday night football next week. It, I think it's going to hopefully be a little bit of a dud. There shouldn't be any reason why the Ravens aren't in it um, kind of in leading with the Patriots and, you know, who knows the, Steelers almost blew it today against Dallas. So, you know, maybe they'll blow another one at some point here soon too. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the Ravens putting together a a good game after this one and and the the Patriots, they, they still have a a solid defense, but it's not the defense that they had last year. We saw the Ravens carve them up last year. And I don't think that the Patriots can move the ball on this Ravens defense. So I think that that should be a a pretty solid win for, for the Ravens. Yeah, so we'll either be coming at you pretty late Eastern time on Sunday night or um, 
wrapping up and try and get this out uh, early, early on Monday next week. All right, everybody. Well, you guys can find us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and let us know what you're looking for to hear about in the next Situation Room. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.